Every time. <coughs> Every time. Okay, let's make sure I've actually... Whoop. Yep, cool, we're on. That's a good start. <coughs> I had so many technical difficulties with Paul Graham this morning where he had two microphones and then he had zero working microphones, so that was fun. So I wanted to make sure I didn't follow in his footsteps tonight. So we've got it working. So I actually wanted to start tonight in an interesting place because tonight we're wrapping up our series in Philippians, which we've been in for a number of weeks. I had it on the top of my head and it's gone now, so I'm just going to say a number and we're going to pretend like I knew the right answer. Um, (laughs) But we've been going through Philippians and just talking about how Paul talked to this church. I had the pleasure of introing this series where I got to talk about um, the context in which Paul was writing this. So he was writing in his own harem. He was writing in a state of house arrest awaiting trial for his faith, or as they called it, treason. Um, so he was sitting in, a ho- in his home, guarded by royal guards, writing these things about joy and writing to a church that he knew really well. Um, so we discussed the fact that this was the first church that Paul went to on a mission. It was either his first or his second, depending on who you believe. Um, but he reached out to them and he went and visited them. And this is a place where he had incredible experiences, met some awesome people who he regarded as friends. Um, You see that all throughout, how he talks to this church. He talks to them very personally. Um, And I thought it was actually really cool. I was looking into this, how to wrap this up, because the last chapter is kind of Paul summarizing everything he said beforehand. So it's an easy job to preach on that, right? Pick one topic out of the last seven that we've done, because Paul's going to say them all tonight. Yep, that was fun. Um, (laughs) So I wanted to start in a fun place, because this is actually the last letter that Paul wrote to a big church, right? So this is Paul right before he gets, like while he's under house arrest, awaiting trial, he's pretty sure he's going to be sentenced to death, which he later was. And this is the last thing, the last exhortation that he wants to bring to the Church of Philippi that he cared so much for. So I started thinking of a pretty morbid topic in the last words. Have any of you guys ever thought about your last words? No? Yeah? Kind of? I have. I want them to be really powerful, really wise, or really funny. I would be okay with either. Honestly, my preference is bent towards really funny. Um, (laughs) To the point where one day we were driving in a car with Raina, one of my friends, and it was wet and it was rainy, and we were talking about stuff, and it was fine, but we got distracted and he he pushed the brakes really hard and we kind of flung forward a bit. And we were just making some stupid joke, and Raina said a really bad pun. And we were all like, looked at Raina and we were like, if the last words we ever heard were were you making a bad pun, we would all be very mad. Except then it became a running gag with us that whenever we were in a situation that was possibly wrong, we would make the particular pun that he made. We would look at one of the three of us and we would be like, I can't even remember what it was. Uh, Rainer, Rainer, Severus, Rainer, which is a reference to a YouTube video that is really old, that's not really that important, but we would look at each other, make that reference and then go do whatever stupid thing we were about to do. Because we were like, I'm going to make sure those are my last words to you. (laughs) Because we all agreed it would be the dumbest way to go. But I went looking online to see some famous last words because I know that there are people who always write these down and who always will write down a particularly powerful or wise. There's very few that have been recorded that have been dodgy or weird or funny. Um, Well, there's one that I've got here that was very funny. But when I was thinking about it, I was like, actually, my last words, I would like to mean something. I'd love it if it was like T.S. Eliot said his wife's name. That was the last words he ever managed to say. So he's a famous writer and the last thing he said was his wife's name. Um... Then you've got the pessimist, Da Vinci, who said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I thought I was bad. On a bad day, like, I feel pretty bad about myself, but then there's Da Vinci who did all the things that he did saying, I have offended God and mankind. 
Yep, that checks out. Definitely didn't do anything beautiful, no. Um, anyway, um, then you've got something profound like Bob Marley who actually said, money can't buy life. Famous last words. Very interesting thought. You can't buy more life with money. And then you've got a playwright uh, named Wilson Misner. I don't know what he wrote. I just know that this is my favourite out of a lot of them because it channels my kind of humour. While talking to a priest on his deathbed, he said, why should I talk to you? I've just been talking with your boss. I really want that to be the kind of thing I say. Like, that has a lot of power. It's very, <laughs> it's very cool, but it just sums up my kind of humour as well. Like, I would love to start with that. And then you finish with, uh, Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. Yep, fairly neutral, I guess, maybe. Um, but yes, this is Paul's last thing that he said to a church. So last words can mean a lot because of the thing people remember, right? I remember talking to my um, great-grandmother and she passed away when she was 98. No, 99. She nearly made it to 100. Um, and we were talking and the last thing she ever said to me was just, I love you. And that's really nice. It meant very little in the moment, but when she was gone, it was the thing that I remembered. I was like, oh yeah, the last thing she ever said to me was, I love you. And she was Alzheimer's ridden and would barely remember you sometimes, but the last time she remembered who I was and she said, I love you. Pretty cool. It meant a lot. So, we see that Paul knows that this is probably going to be one of the last things he gets to at least say to this church. And this is how he's going to wrap it up. But, before I read it out, I'm going to actually pray, because I think it's important to stop and do that. So, um, Dear Heavenly Father, I just uh, want to invite you into this next 15, 20, however long this is. I just want to invite you into this time and pray that you would speak through me, that you would speak through your word, and that you would give us something that we can work with tonight. God, I just pray for peace. I pray for a piece on my heart. I pray that you would take all of these words and you would let them sink into our hearts. Whatever you would be saying would just stay with us from here, that it would be remembered. God, we just pray that your spirit would be here with us as we enter into this time. Amen. Cool. So, it's not quite the last thing in the chapter. There's like a final goodbye, which is pretty uniform across Paul's letters. But this is the final exhortation to the church of Philippi. So if you guys want to read with me, it's Philippians 4, verse 4 through 9. If you guys have your Bibles on that'll be helpful because I don't have it on the screen. So, it starts with, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put, into, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. That's a lot. Again, last words. Some people have a lot to say. Um, and Paul really wanted to make sure that they kind of understood everything he said through this letter. He sums up almost every big point that he hammered on with. I remember the last one that I talked about. I think, no, it was the second last one was um, I do not grudging, begrudgingly do anything. He opens here with rejoice. So he's really just going through and being like, hey, if you remember nothing else, let me just summarize it right at the end of this so that you get the, the entirety of it in five verses. So I actually wanted to break it down a little bit into two sections. Right? I saw that there was 4 through 6, 4 through 7, and 8 and 9. They're kind of two separate sections. And I saw that in this, you see that Paul tells the people to do something 
and then states that God will respond. So, he starts in verse 4, with rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice, because he loves repetition. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So, in that section, we see a call. He tells the people, you need to rejoice. You need to rejoice in the Lord always. Yes, I repeated it because he did. Yes, you need to rejoice always. You need to make sure that in um, your, that your gentleness is evident to everyone, not just some, but everyone. Then he says, don't be anxious about absolutely anything. The man in prison with a guard outside, knowing that death is imminent, says, don't be anxious. Yep, I think that would definitely be easy to do in his situation. Um, but this isn't where he stops. He says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. So there's this promise, right? It goes, here's my call, here's what I'm telling you to do, and then this is how God responds to you doing those things. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about something a bit personal, so you'll have to bear with me because I haven't talked about this a lot, especially in front of a big group of people. It feels awkward. Um, I'm actually thankful that there are less tonight. Um, so for those of you that don't know, my mum got quite sick five years ago. Six years ago? Yes, about five or six years ago. She uh, got diagnosed with a kidney. They don't actually know what caused it. She went into full renal failure. So her, co- her kidneys no longer work. I got a phone call while I was sitting at a McDonald's enjoying a dinner with probably Rainer and Blake and was told, hey, your mum's in hospital and they're not letting us know what's going on because she's now like in emergency surgery to get these things hooked up because her kidneys aren't working. And I was like, what? I'd moved out three weeks prior, so it would have been a lot longer than six years ago, actually. It would have been seven or eight. Man, time. Anyway, um, <laughs> but you blink and you miss it. Um, but actually, I wanted to reflect on this a little bit with you guys tonight because when it says that the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your heart, I remember in that moment being pretty scared, right? So I did what every 19, 18-year-old boy does, and I decided to stick my head in the sand and pretend nothing happened. I went and talked to my mum like nothing was wrong. I went and then proceeded to avoid the situation whenever there were tests coming up and whenever there were hard things to deal with. I was like, nope, that's, that's not my part. I want to run away from this. I don't want to interact with this. I'm anxious and I'm scared. Well, I didn't say that. I just didn't show up. So it was pretty bad. But when it came down to it, there was a, there was a point there for six months where things went pretty weird. But I finally decided, you know what? I've done it with everything else. I may as well bring this to God. And that was hard. Going to God and saying, hey, I've been stuffing up for a really long time in how I handle these situations. I am scared and worried and nervous and all of these things and I was talking faster than I am now because yes, I am capable. Those of you who heard my first sermon will know how fast I can talk. But I came to God and I just laid out everything and I went, I I don't know what I'm doing, you better have it because I really don't. And I remember feeling some tiny inkling of peace But then I felt a really big weight where it's like, no, you actually have to be around your family. You need to love on them. You need to show them everything that you can and every chance that you get because it's what what I'm telling you to do. Again, I felt the, the call to do something and then God met me where I was and met me with some peace. I have dealt with countless hard conversations with my mum since. I've had to deal with conversations where 
I had to figure out who was going to tell me if anything went wrong. I've had to deal with conversations about where I would live, where my sister would live, who's 17 now, so she's getting to the point where she's fine, but much scarier when she was 12. Um, and these conversations, I've, I've always explained it the same way, where in the moment my emotions are just put in a box and thrown away. Now, I at first attributed that to compartmentalization because that's good, right? Like you can just be like, okay, I'm going to put those in a box and deal with those later. No, these emotions are so big that I actually attribute it to God guarding my heart. He gave me peace. Sure, it didn't make me feel great about having these conversations and later on I did have some really hard moments where I went, oh yeah, I have to deal with those. But in the moment, he gave me the wisdom, he gave me the grace and he gave me the peace to be able to be in the conversation and show the love and show the gentleness where there was not much gentleness in me. When there were doctors telling me I don't know and I was getting mad because you've done how many years of medical school and you're telling me you don't know? I was dealing with a lot and God would in those moments, take those words out of my mouth and replace them with, how can I love my mum? How can I love my family? So yeah, not necessarily the way I wanted peace, but the way that God provided it in a way that transcended all understanding. Because I didn't get it. I still don't. In those moments where I go home and something's gone wrong and I'm talking to anyone, I'll just look at it and go, I, I don't know how I did that. I don't know where those words came from. The amount of times I'm sitting down there praying after, after I've done one of these and I'm like, I don't know where you pulled those words from because they weren't in my head. Um, but he does, he provides peace. All he, this is a situation where Paul is saying, hey, you guys need to do these things because then God can do these things. If you allow God in, he does things. He doesn't just leave you where you are. He enters into those hard spaces with you. Um, so, sorry, I got lost in my notes for a second. So, we then get to the second part where Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, any of these other words you can find in the thesaurus put here, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that's the call. He tells you to think about these things. He says, whatever you have learnt or received or heard or seen in me, again with all of the thesaurus words, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This isn't just talking about a God who will provide you peace in a situation where you can't find any. It talks about the God of peace being with you. It means in a moment where you don't have the right words to say, in a moment where you don't have the right emotion, emotional intelligence to handle what's in front of you, he'll be with you, poking, prodding, making you move in a way you didn't necessarily want to, but he'll make it so that you can move and you can interact because he's not a God of leaving you where you are. So... Um, these two points, I was thinking, they're kind of different, right? They really are. No. I managed to boil them down because Paul loves repetition. Um, I boiled it down to run as hard as, as you can toward God and he will be with you and provide what you need. Now, what you need and what you want are two different things first, but running as hard as you can at God and he'll do the rest has become kind of like a motto of mine. I'm going to run as hard as I can, whether I can see where I'm going or not, and just trust that you've got me because I know I don't. It's my favourite prayer. You better have this because I don't. And these are Paul's final words to this church. He looks at them and he goes, hey guys, no matter what else you hear, no matter what else I say, no matter how many different ways I phrase it, just remember to run at God with everything you are because he'll be with you. He's sitting in a prison cell, probably alone, Actually, he's got at least one or two friends with him. A whole bunch of friends have abandoned him. A whole bunch of people no longer talk to Paul because it's really hard to talk to someone who's under house arrest. Um, 
just this entire situation for Paul is kind of hopeless. And he's sitting there going, you know what, if you just keep running at God, he'll be with you because I know he's with me. It's really cool. It's really hard to interact with that when you're in a high, like on top of a mountain and you're looking at it going, yeah, the world is great. Yeah, it's hard to notice when God's with you in those low times while you're up there. But when you're in a low place, it can also be really hard to look. Sometimes we get so low that we're like, you know what, I'm trapped in my own little bubble. I just went into a cage fighting guard because that's where my safe place was when I was scared. Um, For those of you guys that don't know, I did cage fighting because I wanted to be protected from the world. I thought, okay, I'm going to take everything I possibly can into my own hands and make it so my hands can handle anything I need to. Yeah, it got me about a couple of months into high school and I went, wait, this isn't working. Oh, well, it's fun. Um, (laughs) But now it's almost the same thing. I still have the safe place, but I just try and turn it to God the best I can. I still fail. It still sucks some days. But it's still where you need to go. So, this summation kind of makes it sound like works, right? It's like, do these things and God will do this thing, right? Sounds like a very simple transaction. I would almost read it that way if you didn't look at it as Paul's last words. This is Paul coming towards the end of his life to a whole bunch of friends who got to see him grow up. It's like me saying to a lot of you guys, hey, remember where I was, look at me where I am now. The difference there is actually God. He's not saying this is a transactional relationship where you do this right thing and God gives you this right coin and you go trade that in for something good, no. He's saying it's way deeper. He's saying, hey, look at my life. Look at where I came from. Look at where I am. That entire transition is because I ran at God with everything I had and he was there. He didn't leave me where I was. He stepped where I was. So I think it would be really easy to take the works transaction like theory and run with it, right? used to be what I'd do. You do the best things you can and you run at it as hard as you can. Yep, that's what it means. You do everything because that's running at it as hard as you can. But... The part that ignores that, the part that goes beyond that for me is the fact that God does, just doesn't want you to do the right thing. He just wants you to be with him. Spend time with him. Be in a relationship with him so that he can do the part that he promises you. Um, so, this is great. These are Paul's last words to a big church. He wrote a couple of other letters, but they were to very individual people. Um, two of the letters were to Timothy, who he felt who he was probably the closest with in the world. Um, But does it apply today? Does this message and the little bits of story that I shared, does it actually matter? Well, yeah, of course. I think it's it's really important today because of the amount of times that we can see anything but God and try and run at them. In in history gone by, there was lots of religions vying for your attention. There would be lots of gods vying for your attention. Today, there are lots of things vying for your attention. Hey, hey, Netflix. Hey, hey, you want to watch that? Yeah, that should be fun. Hey, video games. I'm guilty of this one. Um, let's take your mind off some stuff for a while, hey? Yep. Whether it's mobile or video or PlayStation or computer, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. YouTube, man, that is a time waster for me. I get on something interesting and I run with it for hours and then I go and I go, where did my day go? But yeah, there are so many things that vie for our attention here. And Paul is saying the most important thing, and I think we can all, to some, to some extent, agree that the most important thing that we can focus on is Jesus but lots of things really try and pull our attention away from it. Well, that's all great to say. So, great, we're stuffed. That's it, right? Too many things to distract, we can't do it. No, I think Paul gives us a whole bunch of things to go off in amongst this letter that talk about how we actually keep our eyes on God and how we run at him as hard as we can. Whether it is the start where he says, rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Take any situation you're interacting with and try and put it before God and go... I'm going to rejoice in you 
and we'll interact with that together after it. The amount of times that a worship song will pull me out of a headspace well enough that I can then deal with a situation. Let your gentleness be evident to all. He wants you to show others. He wants you to be the gentleness. Like He rattles off a whole bunch of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in this. But he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Wherever you can, be gentle. I think that really helps. I don't think situations tend not to escalate when you are being gentle. You can be such a person of peace if you are just gentle in how you handle something and you're not a sledgehammer to a pane of glass. Um, But then in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your needs to God. Prayer. You come back down to it and you go talk to him. So again, these these are the usual list of things. This is where it gets a little bit different from the usual list that I see brought up a lot. Um, Focus on whatever is good, that's normal. Focus on whatever's right, all of these lists. And then he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me. Turn to people who are a little bit further along in the faith and go, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to handle this. Sure, they may look back at you with a blank and scared look, like when I talked to my mentor at the time when mum got sick, and they look at you and they go, I don't know, let's try and bring that to God together because i got no answer for that. But that's still something, right? It helps us to keep in this space where we're running at God as hard as we can. We're thinking about him in the hard time. We're thinking about him in the easy one. We're trying to bring everything we can before him. So, we just surround ourselves with him the best we can. Whether that's listening to worship music on a phone when you've got nothing else in the background and you want some background noise whether it's looking up a podcast or a sermon, whether it's messaging a friend, whether it's going to a home group, Bible study, a line group, I could rattle off a hundred things that you could do to keep in God's presence. But doing the best you can with what you've got with your time to just run it in as hard as you can. Turning whatever friendships and whatever relationships you've got towards him, really important because it utilizes the time for God and he'll actually work in those times more than you would believe. Um... Yeah, just inviting him in and letting him speak to us in any situation. Not just inviting God into the moments where you want God there, but being willing to have him there when you really, really, really don't. I've had a rough week, if I'm honest. My family have been in turmoil with each other and it's been great fun for me because I was away for five days and came back and everything felt like it was on fire. And then they looked at me like I was the mature one. I'm 25, I don't know what I'm doing. So I've had the fun of being like, oh, why are you all looking at me for? Well, you're normally the one that brings some peace into these situations. Yeah, but normally I've had more time to prep. So I went, give me five. And I went and hid in my room and got mad and went, this is how I really, 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 really want to handle this situation because in my opinion, this person's being stupid. And God went, hmm, real gentle, Chris. And I sat there and went, mm-hmm. yep, that makes sense. What is being a sledgehammer in this situation going to do? Ah, yes, let's bring petrol to a fire. I stopped and I went, nope, be smart, give it to God, let him do what he's going to do. And instead, swallowed my pride, invited him into the bad situation where I really wanted to handle it the Chris way because the Chris way would be over much faster. It would be much more disastrous, but over much faster. (laughs) But (laughs) I heard some people agree with me and I don't know if I should be offended. (laughs) But I had to invite him in and actually let him do something. Sure, I didn't handle it perfectly, but I definitely handled it not the Chris way and it worked out better. And I think he wants us to do this. He wants us to just, wherever we can, take that second. Go talk to a friend who you trust. 
or a partner or anyone who you just know that you can take these bad, awkward, ugly situations to and go, I I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me figure out a way to bring it to God because I'm out of words. And he wants you to do that because he needs you there. That's where he is. He's waiting there going, okay, how can we handle this? He's already got a plan for how you need to handle it. He just wants you to ask him so that he can tell you. He's that friend that doesn't want to give you the advice until you ask for it because it's not going to work. He is that person who knows the right answer in every situation. He is, the, he is the God who made everything and knows you better than you know you and knows the response that you really want to give, cares about why and cares about every other part of the situation that calls you not to. And no, it is definitely not always fun. But this is always a hard choice. It has to be daily. It has to be in every situation. I didn't make that choice on Tuesday when I got home last week and then everything was fine up until then. I had to make that choice every time someone said something stupid, every time I wanted to say something stupid, and every moment in the middle that I wanted to run from the situation. Because we don't just get to make a one-time decision and go, yep, we're sweet, we're solid, we're set. No, it's not how a relationship works. And unfortunately, that's not how life works. We get the opportunity to make different decisions at different situations that are almost the same, because we get to try again and we get to do better. The next time this comes up, maybe I won't grumble for so long before going, okay, God. Maybe I won't even have the inclination to be so aggressive in a situation. Probably not that one, though. Um, But yeah, really, I just wanted to come before you guys with this final bit from Paul and say that we need to do all of these things together. We don't exist alone. We don't exist in a vacuum. It used to be one of my favorite things was your actions don't exist in a vacuum. They have effects. It was told to me by a math C teacher in grade 10, it's probably, or grade 11, probably a throwaway statement from him, but I still remember it all these years later. And it's because we do, we have an impact on the things around us, and he wants to have an impact on us. He wants to be around us so that he can. Um, so I did, I wanted to say, we need to pray about these things. We need to bring them before God, tell him exactly what, where we're at, and what we want, and accept that that may, be, you know, that may not be what we need. We need to be in community and lovingly being able to look at people and go, anything that I have seen or heard or learnt or been around and absorbed in my time around you, I'm going to try and utilise that. I'm going to try and utilise the fact that I've spent so long around Raina's peace and try and be peace. I'm going to utilise the fact that Miles is pretty smart and has said some things that caught on in my brain that are philosophy-based. I'm going to try and use the encouragement that Matt's given to encourage better. All of these people that have been around me have influenced me and I'm going to now try and turn, because all of these people are following God, I'm going to try and turn all of those things outward and go, hey, how can I do the best I can with what I've got? And I think we need to do that because that's the point of community. We don't do it alone for a reason. Alone it would suck. Alone we would be sitting in a prison cell, sad, worried about all of these things going on around us and we wouldn't be able to even see God. But with a community it gives us so many catch points where a friend can be like, hey Chris, have you tried praying about that? Sure, that sounds like a very stereotypical question, but like the amount of times it's caught me out. Or, hey, how is your relationship with God going in this really bad time? So that you can catch yourself before you completely silence that voice. Because God's respectful of us. If we tell him to be quiet enough, he slowly does. And then we have to work to get him to to be heard again. And I think communities help with this. So, As I wrapped up, I actually wanted to just invite us to pray and I wanted to invite the team up as we pray and as we do one more thing because I got asked to do one more thing. 
But I'm going to pray now as the team comes up and then we'll keep talking here. I'm going to lift this message to God. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for being who you are. I thank you for last words. I thank you for the fact that Paul got to spend enough time in a prison cell that he got to write three letters to three, diff- to three different churches in towards the end of his life and three different people who he considered very close friends and that he got to speak these last words so that they could have impact with us. God, I pray as we reflect now that we'd be able to figure out these parts of our lives that we don't quite give to you as well as we could. These parts where we don't do community as well as we could, where we don't read our Bibles enough, where we don't pray enough, where we don't actually talk to you with where we're at. We talk to you with where we want to be. God, I just want to lift every part of this message to you and say, we just need you to be in our lives more. We want you to be in this space with us so that you can influence influence us and so that we can go out and do the same thing to others. God, we love you and we just thank you for who you are. In your son's name, amen. So, I wrote notes so I didn't forget. Tonight, we're actually going to be partaking in communion. Notice none of you have cups. They are on a table in the back. (laughs) So, if you guys would like to go grab cups... I'm going to kind of talk, I'll wait and we'll talk a little bit about what that means when you've got some because they're just on a table at the back. I think I saw Matt put them up there. Sorry, I can't actually see the back. (laughs) Actually, so while you guys are grabbing communion cups and everything else, I'm just going to start talking about why we do it. So, we talked a lot tonight about the access we have to God and that comes through the life and the death of Jesus and communion is a really good time that we can come, we can reflect on that part, right? We can, talk, we can listen to who God was, in, we can listen to scripture and then we can talk about who Jesus was in his life. We can reflect, and we can have a pray and while you guys are reflecting on what parts of this life you can do better, reflect on who Jesus is for you, what he did for you. And over the next song, they're gonna, the team's going to play two more songs and over the first one we're just going to eat the bread at our own pace, have a pray, reflect on it and then at the end of the song I'll come up and I'll pray for the cup and we'll take that together. Hey, Cool, thank you guys. Thank you.